Brought to you by PrayLatin.com, makers of prayer cards featuring complete English phonetic renderings of Latin pronunciations. With the reported changes to Samorum Pontificum coming from the Vatican in the near future, numerous bishops have chimed in to defend the Latin Mass in probably what is a futile attempt to influence Rome's decision, with the probable hope that if Rome sees how beloved the Latin Mass is among the faithful, the Curia won't move to restrict access to the Latin Mass in a conceivable way. That's probably wishful thinking on the parts of prelates like Cardinals Zen and Mueller, who I featured just a couple of days ago on this channel. If you have not checked that out, please do so. Their words are inspiring, to say the least. And other high-profile figures have defended the Latin Mass for the same purpose, though. Now, earlier this week, Archbishop Vigano chimed in and said what he really thinks, that the attempt to eliminate the Latin Mass or to restrict it in any way is an evil act, befitting not a servant of the servants, but more akin to something done by a pope who has a real animosity towards the traditional faith. Now, he has chimed in again, this time taking his battle to the Second Vatican Council, and this one may leave some of his more ardent fans a little uncomfortable, since he minces no words when describing the council. And for those who cannot stand the archbishop, they'll think he is just doing his tinfoil fedora routine again. I've seen people say that about him, and consequently about people like me as well. It's always kind of funny, to be honest. But let's take a look at Archbishop's take on Vatican II, which he, where he repeats what traditional Catholics have been saying for years now. This interview went live late on Tuesday on John Henry Weston's website, but was initially presented to a French journal called Reis Nové. A year or so ago, he and the Auxiliary Bishop of Kazakhstan had been engaged in an informal discussion about Vatican II, with Vigano saying that the council must be scrapped and the Auxiliary Bishop proposing changes that, while technically in line with the hermeneutic of continuity, would have left most of Benedict XVI-like prelates uncomfortable for it all but broke with the dreaded hermeneutic of continuity. Here, the good Archbishop returns to the topic due to the coming actions by Francis and the Curia being a clear sign that Vatican II is a failure. That is Vigano's hypothesis here. Since the laity are more and more hungry for a return to the faith as it was taught prior to the Council and a return to the liturgy that our forebears would recognize as being Catholic instead of what we often have today. Vigano describes the origins of the Council in the ways that you'll be familiar with if you have read Taylor Marshall's book or have been familiar with the topic in any way before that book was published, which had been a topic widely looked into by traditional Catholics for decades. And the same conclusion was come to by virtually everyone from luminaries like Michael Davies to contemporary figures like Chris Ferrara, that the church was heavily influenced by stonecutter types and the children of Bella Dodd, that the council had been taken by these groups and turned into a critical moment in the history of the church. It isn't so much that the problems in the church began at Vatican II. If you believe that, you should probably re-examine it, because that's it's not an accurate take. But rather, that the council was the moment of triumph for these groups after more than a century of hard work, and the new mass being the crowning achievement of all, designed by a member of Stonecuttery and his allies who came from the ranks of Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli. This is a historic fact. Catholics are are the only figures in all the world, as far as I can tell, who worship using rubrics designed by their adversaries. And Vigano touches on all of this. But the key to this is the Nouveau Theologie, the New Theology. And as he turns his attention to the New Mass, Vigano reminds us that the liturgy is an expression of doctrine and dogma. And that is why the modernists in Rome ultimately cannot let the traditional liturgy of the Roman Rite persist with easy access. Now, for some, now before I get to that, there are going to be some who kind of object to the use of Latin in the church. And I'm beginning my research now on a 
uh, for a video on why the church uses Latin. Let me know if you want that because it's not just it's not just for ceremonial purposes that the church uses Latin. There are deep theological reasons why the liturgy sh should be said in Latin or Greek or one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, other handful of ancient languages. And I'm going to go into that. So let me know in the comments if you want that, please. Anyway. Let's return to Vigano, and as he goes over why the modernists in Rome ultimately cannot let the traditional liturgy of the Roman Rite persist with wide and easy access for the faithful. Quote, Once we understand that the liturgy is the expression of a specific doctrinal approach, which with the Novus Ordo also became ideological, and that the liturgists who conceived it were imbued with this approach, we must analyze the conciliar corpus liturgicum to find confirmation of its insubordinate nature. Beyond the texts and ceremonial rubrics, which makes the Reformed Rite unequivocally insubordinate, is that it was made malleable to the celebrant and the community, on the basis of an adaptability completely unknown to the Romans' mens liturgica. The arbitrariness of the innovations is an integral part of the Reformed liturgy, whose liturgical books, beginning with Paul VI's Massalia Romanum, are the thought of as a rough draft, a canvas at the mercy of more or less talented actors seeking public acclaim. The applause of the faithful introduced, albeit insultingly, with the Novus Ordo, is the expression of a consensus that is an essential part of a rite that has become a spectacle. On the other hand, in ancient societies, theater has always had a liturgical connotation, and it is significant that the conciliar church wanted to exhume this pre-Christian vision by inverting it, that is, by giving a theatrical connotation to the liturgical rite. Anyone who thinks that the Edicio Typica in the in Latin corresponds to the rite that should have been celebrated after the council sins in naivete, as well as in ignorance. Nothing in that liturgical book was really intended for daily use by priests, beginning with the pitiful graphic layout, which was clearly neglected precisely because of the awareness that practically no one would ever celebrate the Novus Ordo in Latin. The same papal ceremonies in which the Massalidae Romanum of Paul VI was used derogated from the rubrics by introducing readings in the vernacular, ceremonies not foreseen, and roles reserved to clerics carried out by lay, by lay men and lay women. This, in my view, confirms the insubordinate soul of the council and of the right inspired by it. End quote. In plain English, people often cite Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document from the Second Vatican Council on the liturgy, and say that the new Mass would be fine if celebrated according to the designs of the Second Vatican Council. But what everyone misses is this. The same bishops who approved Sacrosanctum Concilium at the Council were the same bishops who would implement the Novus Ordo less than a decade later, and they implemented the way we see it practiced now. They'd all ignore their own directives given at the Council. Sacrosanctum Concilium in writing calls for almost no changes to the Mass at all, and Latin to have pride of place in the liturgy. That was ignored by the bishops even before the Council ended, as history attests, and especially ignored when the new Mass was promulgated in 1970. They never intended to follow cons the conciliar documents in the first place, and made them vague enough to do with them what they wanted. Half a century earlier, when Pope St. Pius X formally defined the heresy of modernism, he made it unequivocally clear that those who held to it were outside the Church. Thus is the nature of heresy, and the modernists were triumphant at the council. It's food for thought. But continuing with Vigano, he touches on the figure of Annabale Bugnini, the confirmed stonecutter and architect of the first liturgical changes introduced in 1955, late in Pius XII's reign, that opened the door for the new Mass. The good archbishop describes this work as undermining the liturgy and theology of the Church, and that the new Mass comes from the same place, and they were done with hidden intentions all along. Quote, 
Those who prepared the conciliar documents to have them approved by the Council Fathers acted with the same malice that the drafters of the liturgical reform adopted, knowing that they would interpret ambiguous texts in a Catholic way, while those who were to disseminate and utilize them would interpret them in every sense except that. In fact, this concept is confirmed in everyday practice. Have you ever seen a priest who celebrates the Novus Ordo with the altar facing east, entirely in Latin, wearing the fiddleback, the Roman chasuble, and distributing communion at the communion rail, without this arousing the ire of his ordinary and confreres? Even though, strictly speaking, this way of celebrating would be perfectly legitimate. Those who have tried, certainly in good faith, have been treated worse than those who habitually celebrate the Tridentine Mass. This demonstrates that the continuity hoped for in Council's hermeneutic does not exist, and that in break with the preconciliar church is the norm to which one must conform, to the satisfaction of the adherence of the hermeneutic of continuity. End quote. Now, I am going to interject here. For those who are relatively new to this broad topic, the hermeneutic of continuity is the position articulated by Benedict XVI and John Paul II in practice that the changes at the council must be read and understood in the light of the traditions of the church. This despite there being contradictions between the historically Catholic position on a variety of topics and the position of the council. The Lumen Gentium is filled with contradictions to the syllabus of errors, for example. Francis himself appeared to reject the hermeneutic of continuity a few months ago, saying that to hold to that position was to separate yourself from the church. That is certainly a remarkably honest thing, Francis said, and as this now classic illustration attempts to convey for those watching on YouTube instead of listening on Spotify or Podbean, the hermeneutic of continuity doesn't hold up to scrutiny. It fails any real examination when comparing statements made at the council to former church documents like the aforementioned syllabus of errors, and many others that came before the council, where in our time, ideas were endorsed by the council that had been formally and forcefully rejected by papal authority, and even at the First Vatican Council and the Council of Trent, in the grand scheme of things, not all that long before. But let's return to the good archbishop for his continuing ideas here. Quote, Lastly, I would like to point out that this awareness of the doctrinal incompatibility of the ancient rite the ideology of Vatican II is claimed by self-styled theologians and innovative intellectuals, for whom the extraordinary form of the right can be tolerated as long as the entire theological framework that it implies is not adopted. This is why the liturgy of Samorum Pontificum communities is tolerated, provided that in preaching and catechesis one is careful not to criticize Vatican II or the New Mass. End quote. And that is a dig at Massimo Fascioli, who famously told us just before this news that Samorum Pontificum was going to be rescinded in some way, broke that we can keep our ancient liturgy, but not our ancient theology. Massimo said this as if he knew what was coming soon from Rome, given that he is a well-known uh, and highly influential figure with deep connections in Rome. It's probably that he did know. That's probably what his job was, was to get us ready for that. There is a lot more to this interview, and it is well worth your time. I have it linked in today's show notes at returntotradition.org for those who want to read it for themselves. That's the name of this channel with a .org at the end. Just skip past the Patreon pop-up unless you become a patron of the channel, because there's no need for a paywall for my sources. Now, in the end, the good archbishop goes on to reject the proposed liturgical revival of Benedict XVI and Cardinal Seurat, essentially saying that it misses the point. Vigano says that the Second Vatican Council and its wholly invented new rite have failed, and for the good of the faithful, we must accept that they have failed in their attempts. The modernists of Vatican II attempted to revive and reinvent the Church into their own image at the Council. To make the Church more relevant to the modern world and more open to the acolytes of Luther, Calvin, and the rest of our so-called separated brethren. And they have failed on all accounts. 
His point is that we must recognize that and restore liturgical and theological order. The rest of the interview is worth your read, and I highly, highly recommend that you do so if you are interested in this topic. Now, what do you think about this? Am I right that his words will ruffle some feathers? I have long said that Francis is not the problem, but the natural outgrowth of the state of the church that has been basically the same for decades now, and that Francis is just a more upfront and blatant expression of the new theology, and that the real wake-up call is to accept that there has been deep issues in the church for decades, going right to and including the very top of the hierarchy in all cases. Many have a hard time accepting that, of course, which should surprise no one given the implications. But what do you think about this? Let me know your thoughts on this in the comments below, and like, subscribe, and hit that bell if you haven't. It really does help and helps keep you connected to what's going on every day. As always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.